you have your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. If you saw on the front of the bulletin, and I actually put on the website this week that, you know, to invite you to come in here, an interesting help-wanted sermon, if you will. And we're going to look at John chapter 13, and the title of the message is simply this, <clears throat> Foot Washers Wanted. Foot Washers Wanted. Now, just out of curiosity, if you were looking for work and that was the first ad that you saw, would you linger on that or would you immediately move down to job number two? <laughs> Foot Washers Wanted. And if you hear that title, it, it just suggests everything that you think it suggests, that you, somebody's wanting somebody to wash feet. What an exciting, glorious, thankful job. Amen? Washing feet. Well, when we think about that, we usually think just the opposite, foot washing. And if you're like many people today, the idea of washing your own feet is not as exciting, let alone washing somebody else's feet. Amen? In fact, the older we get, sometimes the harder it is to wash our own feet, which is why we need foot washers. I'll let y'all play with that one later. Amen. <laughs> but foot washing, what does it mean? In the life and ministry of Christ, one of the most crucial moments, and probably I think, as far as preaching goes, when I look at my 50-something years on this earth, but in the 40-something years plus that I remember sitting under preachers and preaching and teaching, I've, I think I've heard someone preach on this twice. And I know it's there, and it, we've, it's been referenced, but to have someone actually dig into the message, and it wasn't until probably 20 years ago when I first heard a preacher preach this all the way through and really expose and unfold what happens here in John chapter 13 that I realized what this means and how significant this is in the life of Christ. And with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what we're going to do. Uh, we, we're not going to get through this today. Uh, when I teach this lesson now, I teach it in the men's retreat, and it's about an hour long, hour and 15 minutes. I'm not going to keep you here that long this morning. I actually have a nice introduction and four points, and I know where to stop so that, you know, leave you hanging just a little bit where you have to come back next week to finish. Amen. But this is a rather lengthy and in-depth topic, and yet I think it's one of the most needed topics in the church today. And I'll tell you why. Last week we talked about the title of the message was serving and receiving. Not giving and receiving, but serving and receiving. We talked about the fact that serving and receiving go hand in hand. In fact, that as we have received service from God, it equips us to serve other people. Amen? Y'all remember that? And so we said that having received God, who is a servant, we become servants. And that pulls us right into where we are here this morning in John chapter 13, where Jesus Christ, the great servant, who has come to earth... The Bible says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And here now in John chapter 13, we have one of the greatest acts of service that you'll ever find anywhere in Scripture. And I would put what happens here in John chapter 13 right up there with the greatest act of service when Jesus served us by giving his life on the cross. So with that in mind, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take a look at this this morning. Uh, in chapter 12, when you get to John chapter 12, and as you finish John chapter 12, Jesus' earthly ministry, as it were, or his public ministry, is coming to a close. He's now going to, in the rest of, at least in John, everything that happens here, he's working very closely with his disciples. We're headed into the cross, and everything that happens, and everything he says, and everything he does, is going to be invested in those men that he chose to walk with him, and what he wanted to share with them that was of such vital importance that as he's getting ready to leave the world, they're equipped to be 
the witnesses that he needs them to be. So his public ministry is coming to a close, but his ministry as a whole is not close to being done. So in chapter 13 through 16, you have Jesus' very private interactions with his disciples. Uh, and it begins in actually 13, 14, 15, 16. And then you have John 17, where you have that great chapter where he prays for his disciples at length, praying for them, lifting them up, and, and, and sort of uh, commissioning them into the ministry to follow in his footsteps. So that's where we are, and that's what's going to happen here. Now, I want to introduce a word to you. It's a word that we don't like that much, uh, especially in the day we live in. I don't think we've ever liked it in all of history. But when we think about this word, uh, it just sort of makes us think about things that maybe we're not comfortable thinking about, and, and maybe it takes us in a direction we don't want to go. But it's a very simple word. It's the little word humility. Humility. Uh, the Greeks thought humility was a weakness. And so the very concept of being a servant to the Greeks in this day was is if you talked about humility or talked about being a servant, you were basically making yourself the lowest form of life. You were making yourself a footstool. You were letting other people use you. They, they saw greatness not so much in pride but in wisdom and in knowledge and exalting yourself rather than making yourself low. But if you know your Bibles, you know that Jesus taught very clearly that the way to become great is to become the least. Because when you make yourself the least, when we surrender to that process of being the least, God makes us the greatest among men. Amen? And so God very often does that. Everything contrary to what humanity teaches, everything contrary to what we see in the world, everything contrary to the world we're living in today, because this world is broken and stained with sin, we have to be very careful when we look at men and women, when we look at our lives, when we look at those around us. We can't measure this world based on we see it through the eyes of human understanding. We have to look at this world through the eyes of Scripture. And we look at it through the eyes of Scripture, we look at this world through the eyes of God. Amen? Amen? I want to say it again. Amen? Okay, all right. Now, with that in mind, humility, and that little word humility, and this is the English translation, and you'll find it, it's, it's from the Greek word uh, humus, not hummus, but that's close. Hummus is, you know, that nasty stuff that people eat that, you know, uh, but uh, you know, people, that, that people that have never had meat, you know, that's just once you, you know, but anyways, uh, humus, I'm sorry, my mind's going back to the bonfire and the ribeye, but anyways, Humus, humus, and, and, and from that word humus in the Greek, it, 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 it has at its root form the word earth or earthiness or earthliness. So humility, humor, and, and you have to get the pronunciation right because there is a difference between hum and hume in the Greek, amen, but humor, humility, and, and good humor is humor that is down to earth it, it, it is so we can understand it. We laugh because it's on our level. You ever had somebody tell a joke that you didn't laugh at because you didn't get it? It's because it wasn't down on your level, amen? Uh, and then sometimes you get what they, what they call these, they call them highbrow jokes, you know, there's, well, these, these, those are for intelligent people. No, I just think they're for people who don't know how to make a real joke. That's what I say. But, 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 but humility, good humor, is, it's, for, it's down on our level. We laugh because we understand it. Amen? You with me? That's that root word, humus, or humor. So the first lesson of a child of God is that we need to retain contact with our origin. And that means that we are earthly, beloved. We are of this world. We are earthly we have an origin. We have a beginning. Everything we have and everything we are comes from above. The Bible says that we're made of dust, and under the dust we shall return. Amen? Y'all know that verse in the Bible? 
I, I think I know if I told you this before about the little boy. The mom walked by her, her, the room of her little boy, and she saw him. She walked back, and she looked, and he's just kneeling on the floor, and he's looking under his bed. And she's like, son, what are you doing? And she looks up and says, mom, is it true that the Bible says that we were made from the dust, that we came from the dust? And she said, yes. And he said, is it true the Bible says we'll go back to the dust? And she said, yes, that's true. And he said, mom, I need you to look under my bed because somebody's either coming or going. <laughs> We're, we're earthly, we're, we're dust, we're, we're, we're made of this world. We have a beginning, and that beginning comes from God. And humility reminds us to stay in touch with our earthliness, our roots. Don't exalt ourselves above who we are. Someone once said, the middle letter in Lucifer is I. The middle letter in pride is I. The middle letter in sin is I. And so the whole struggle of Genesis to Revelation is always against the I in us. It's against the I. It's against the me. It's against the pride. It's against the self. Lucifer, the great original sin, the great original author of sin, the one who, where pride originated, the opposite of humility, uh, said, I will ascend into heaven. I will be like the Most High God. I will, I will, I will. And I heard a preacher say one time that Satan should have seen an optometrist about his I problem. <laughs> And the danger of living in this world is we say, I, I, me, my, selfishness, and, and we exalt ourselves beyond measure. And one preacher once said this, we ought to always remember that that which today is a peacock, tomorrow is a feather duster. Well, look at John chapter 13. We actually need to get into the Bible here. I'm going to read it at length, and we're going to visit this this week, and we're going to visit it next week, but I want you to see the Scripture. It's just, everything I'm going to share is in the Bible, so I've got to make sure I keep our eyes fixed where it needs to be fixed. So John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing, mark that word, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and he took a towel and he girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, you do not know now, but you will know hereafter. You will know later. You'll understand this later. Peter said unto him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, If I wash thee not, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> so he swings the other way there. Don't know, you'll never wash me at all. Now he's, no, wash everything. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but he is clean every whit, and, and you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. Understand what he's saying here. He knows that Judas is about to betray him. He knows what's fixing to happen. And yet Judas is one of the 12 men with him. 
and one of the men whose feet that Jesus is about to wash. Verse, uh, verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and had sat down again, he said unto them, Do you know what I have done unto you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And even as he told Peter that which you don't understand now, you'll understand later, and even as he explains it, they still didn't fully understand what he was doing and what he was about to do. He knew he was headed for the cross. He knew it was coming. And this passage, these words that he spoke to him, would carry words not just for them, but for us today and on into eternity that we must not miss. So with that in mind, look back at verse 3. Jesus knowing, Three things, that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God, and that he went to God. That Jesus knowing. Your performance, my performance as a Christian, will always be based in what we know or what we don't know about who we are in Christ. See, it's what Jesus knew. It's what he was firmly fixed in. And that word knowing there, that word Greek word in the word, in, in, in the word in the Greek there, that word from which we get the word gnosis or knowledge, that word for knowing there, it's the word for intimate knowledge. It's not just the word for intellectual knowledge. It's the word for a knowledge like the way a, a husband and wife know each other or the way in, in, in deep intimacy or even the way that family members who are close know each other, sharing blood. And, and it's the idea of knowing through intimacy, not knowing just with our, with our minds, but knowing in our heart, knowing with a passion, knowing with, with a weight that carries into eternity. What Jesus knew here, he knew it to the point that it had settled and fixed everything that he is getting ready to do. He knew He knew it with such determination. He knew it with such conviction that what he was about to do, nothing could stop him from what he's about to do. And as I've already said, that included washing the feet of one of the disciples who would be the very one who would betray him. And not only the one who would actually betray him, but the one who would ultimately deny him, who said, I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me before the crop crows three times. You're going to deny me three times. And Jesus washed all of these disciples' feet. Why? Because of what he knew of what he knew. Y'all with me? Say amen. By the way, I, I realized this the other day. I was growing up and I sat on of these preachers that had these catchphrases and I thought, you know, I'll never do that. I realize now I've got like four or five of them. <laughs> and one of them is, one of them is, 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 are you with me? Are you with me? And does that make sense? And, and, and then the third one, which is, I'll use, is amen. All right. So, and I do that for a reason because my worst fear And the one thing I don't want when I'm sitting and listening to a preacher is that he preaches over my head so much and so far that when I leave, I don't feel like I've learned anything. Now, I've sat under those sermons in about five, ten years, somewhere down the road, I understood what he said, but it would have been great if I'd understood it at that time. Amen? And my worst fear as a preacher is that I'm going to share something of such vital importance with you and with me that the church needs today, that I'm going to be over our heads and we're going to miss it. So I need to make sure that you know it. I need to make sure that you understand it, and I want to make sure that you get it. So that's why I stop and say, are you with me? Amen. So, are you with me? Amen? 
Okay, now, with that in mind, look carefully at this. Jesus knew. What did he know? Three things. He knew, number one, his sovereign position. Number two, his divine origin. And number three, his divine destination. Look at it in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he knew his sovereign position. Everything he had, he had been given to him from the Father. He had the authority of God behind him. He would say that in the Great Commission. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He knew his divine position. He was sent by God, chosen by God, called by God. Beloved, when you as a child of God know your divine position, there is nothing that can stop you from serving the way that God and Christ wants you and I to serve. We got to know that everything we do, we do with all the authority of God. And that means we serve even when we serve those who would betray us, even those who would deny us, but we serve those who we serve because we know that we have been sent by God, that he is the one who has given us his authority. Number two, we have the same divine origin. Jesus knew that he came from God. Verse three, that he was come from God. You and I came from God. We came from God first by birth. You're here, you were born, and you lived because God saw it in his sovereignty to allow you and I to come into this world the first time, to be born, and then by God's grace, and, and we heard the message, and we trusted Christ as our Savior, and, and now we are born again, amen? So you and I have come from God. We have authority from God. The life that we have is from God. And not only that, uh, we come from God, but the Bible says one day we're going to go and we're going to be with God. We know our divine destination, just as Jesus did. Verse 3, all things were given into his hands. He had come from God and he went to God. Jesus knew that he's going to face a cross shortly. He's going to die. He's going to be put in a tomb. But he knew when it all was said and done, that tomb would be empty and he would once again be seated at the Father's right hand. Beloved, when you know, when you and I come to the place in our lives where we know when we know our sovereign position, our divine origin, and our divine destination, there is nothing that can keep us from serving the way that Christ wants us to serve. And that makes us have the right kind of humility. That keeps us from becoming proud because nothing we have, we, have, we, don't, we, we don't have it in our, everything we have, we don't have it in ourselves. We have it because it comes from God. Amen? You, you follow? Nobody in this room can say that you have anything more from God than anybody else as far as your calling and your position and your destination. You were saved by God. I was saved by God. You're going to go to be with God. I'm going to go to be with God. The only thing that we can argue about is which one of us is going to get there first, and that's not much of an argument. <laughs> Amen? Personally, if I had my way, we'd all go together. The rapture would occur right now, and we'd all be caught up in the clouds in the air, and then there'd be no argument about who was higher. <laughs> yeah, Amen? We'd be on our way to be with Jesus, and those things that we think down here matter suddenly won't matter. So, why was Jesus able to do what he was able to do? One word, and it's not actually humility, but why was he able to show this kind of humility? Why was he able to serve? The answer is security. He was secure in his relationship with his heavenly Father. And the things that are true of him are just as true of us. You and I need to come to the place where we understand these three things. Everything is ours in Christ. 
All things have been given into his hands, and all things have been given into our hands. Jesus said in the Great Commission, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. And he says, you go and you make disciples, and I am with you. Everything that was given to Jesus, he turned around and gave to us in the Great Commission. We have all the authority of God, all the resources we have, everything we have, we have because it comes from God. Number two, we ourselves are sent from God. And number three, one day, you can count on this, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you will see God. You will return to him, and he will be the one who will give us the reward for our service in this lifetime. In this life, you will serve, and you will be unappreciated. I hate to break it to you. In this life, you will serve, and you will be criticized. You will be betrayed. You will be denied. But if you serve in this life, and you serve for Christ, for God, one day, the one who matters will be the one who will give you your reward and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen? Now, look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, I don't want to get stuck on the Greek. There's two words I want you to look at in verse 6. And this is from the King James. You might have a little different version, but you can find the words. It says, Lord, do you, or thou, do you wash my feet? Now, in the Greek, the beauty of the Greek language is that it does what the English can't always do. We look at the verbs. We look at different, so we look at a sentence, and we think we know where the emphasis is, but sometimes it's hard to tell. When we speak, we can speak with, with emphasis, and that makes it easier, but when we write, it's a little bit harder. But in the Greek, you can actually write emphasis into the Greek. And in this verse, there are two words that are major emphasis. There are two words where the scriptures shout at us. There are two passages, two words that we need to look at to understand, and it's the little word, thou and my, you and me. So if you read it the way that it's in the Greek, uh, he says, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? You? Me? Never. Never. That will never happen. That's what he says. Lord, you will, no, never wash my feet. What does that look like? It looks like humility. Lord, you're going to wash my feet? No, no, no. You're, I, you'll not wash my feet. See, it looks like humility. You know what it is? It's actually pride. And I want to tell you why, and we'll get to this more in a minute. The moment you and I tell God <laughs> what he can and cannot do, it doesn't matter how you say it, whether you shout it or not. It doesn't matter how you say it. There's nothing humble about that. That's pride because now we're telling God. We've made ourselves as if we know more than God. And beloved, that's pride all day long. Amen? If God wants to do something and we go, no, no, Lord, that is not humility. That is the exact opposite. That is pride. And I want, to, I want us to understand, even before we get into the heart of this message next week, that the attitude we have in our church sometimes is this false humility. We have this as Christians. It's this false humility that's really, in fact, pride. We try to make it look like we're making less of ourselves, but the reality is we've exalted ourselves, whether we know it or not. Pride is manifest. Now get this. Pride is manifest not only in how low we see ourselves, but also as well as how high. And I'll say it the opposite way. Pride is manifest not only in how high we see ourselves, but also in how low we see ourselves. When we're face-to-face -face with a gift...
Pride will always reject the gift, but humility will always receive the gift. And we talked about this a little bit last week. In fact, not only that, pride will reject the gift, but humility will receive the gift and display it proudly. And I wrote this down. Pride actually resists being served. See, it's the proud person who says, no, no. Either you can't serve me, you don't need to serve me, I'm not worthy, and, you be, and be careful because when you say, somebody wants to serve, they say, no, you won't serve me, I'm not. Now we've set ourselves above that person, that's pride. That's just as proud as saying, serve me. Saying, serve me, and saying, don't serve me. You need to understand, beloved, both of those are pride. Amen. The moment that the receiver, the moment that the recipient sets himself up in any way is greater than the giver, that is is pride. Hmm. And so this is an important passage here. And I wrote this down. Pride will actually keep you from being served. Hmm. Pride is the reason people say no to Jesus. I'm not worthy. Well, that's the whole reason he died. Duh. None of us are worthy. He had to die to make us worthy. And if you have an argument with him about how unworthy you are and never accept him, then you will not only know the worth that he wants to give you, but you'll die in pride, unable to save yourself and having rejected the only one who could. Pride goeth before a fall. Amen. And that's the worst fall of all eternity, to say no to Jesus. When you're face-to-face with a gift, pride will reject it. So pride will keep you from being served. Now, give me, give me, um, by the way, to reject the gift is to reject the giver. Huh. Hey, all right, give me, I'm going to give you this example. All right, let me just, let me just, all right, let's, let's preach for a minute. Let's have some fun. Amen? Two possible gifts you can get. A brand new car. I may have shared this with you before, but I'm going to share it again. Two gifts you can possibly get. A brand new car or an ugly tie. Now, let's start with the ugly tie. Preacher, I brought you this gift. Wow. <laughs> It's so many colors, <laughs> you know, and, 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 we, and we, maybe we're nice, maybe we take it, but we don't ever wear it, that's, that's still pride, you know, we, yeah, probably everybody in this room, I'm going to bet everybody in this room, you have a gift, that if you, yeah, no, I don't even, I didn't even have to finish that, that if somebody's coming to your house, you got to dig that rascal out. You got to put it out because they're going to, they're going to, you know, that there's you, and some of you know, you will, you go to see someone. That's the first thing you're looking for. Hey, you remember that, you remember that flower arrangement I gave you? You mean that one that was made in the 1900s that looked like, that looked like, you know, uh, that, that, that looked like it belonged in the Brady Bunch or something like that? You mean, you remember that thing that I gave you? You remember whatever, you remember that, you remember that velvet painting of Elvis that I gave you? Where is that? Oh, that's in a very special room. See, there's gifts that we're given, and, and, we, and, and, and we miss the heart of the giver. That's pride. And, and, and pride says, I'm, I'm too good for this. Oh, but let's flip that around. Someone says, oh, I, I want to give you a new car. Thank you. <laughs> I deserve this. This is it. Well, clearly that's pride. Amen? Oh, thank you. That's a gift worthy of me. A new car. Amen? But flip that around. 
and I'm going to give you a perf perfect example of this. I want to give you a new car. I, I can't take that. I, I, don't, I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. And that might be true. But be careful. Because what we may be trying to do is make ourselves look like we're less than we really are or think we are. And worse, we may be making that person look like we're not worthy of receiving something from them. And that is always pride. I have a... I receive, get, people give me gifts, I have a hard time, it doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter, I have a hard time receiving gifts because in my flesh, I'm not worthy of anything. I, I, my only worth is in Christ. In our last church, and, and I had, a, uh, we were at a, the retreat, we were finishing up the transition process like we're doing here. We went on the retreat and one of the men said, Pastor Ian, how can we be a blessing to you? Well, at the time, my van was on its last leg and I rather jokingly said, can you hook me up with a new car? <laughs> you know? And then we talked a little bit, and I said, that, that's, I didn't mean that. That's a new car. That's too much to ask for. And he said, oh, it's not too much to ask God for. In the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, it's, that's not. You know, and my, I'm like, that was, I actually felt bad. I said, I shouldn't have said that. that you know, did I say that because I really wanted a new one? Why did I say? And so I wrestled with this thing, and I just let, I forgot about it, and I said, I just moved on. Well, about two weeks later on Wednesday night, we go to the church. We show up. We walk into the sanctuary for the prayer. But nobody's in there. Everybody's standing outside in the front of the church. I'm like, what is going on? And, and I see the gentleman, he waves at me, he says, come on. So I walk down there, my wife and I, we walk down there, and we walk out into the foyer, and all the church members are standing out there, and he hands me an envelope, and he hands me a set of keys, and he says, this is our gift to you. And uh, it was the keys to a, a, a two, that, that 2003 Ford Ranger that I'm driving that I have out there, I love that thing. They handed him that key. He said, it's the title, and here's the keys. And he says, use this in your ministry, wherever God takes you. However. And, I, and, I, and I remember standing there, and I was just numb. And I remember thinking, I, I can't take this. I don't deserve this. I can't take it. I didn't want it. I didn't want I, I felt bad because I'd even mentioned it. And everything within me wrestled with that. And everything within me wanted to say no. And everything within me was saying I'm not worthy. And everything within me was rejecting the giver and the church and everything that went into that. And, and, and I wrestled with that. Because part of me was overwhelmed by the fact that the church would do this. And part of me was overwhelmed by the fact that, that I knew I, I'm not worthy of that. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But we have to be careful that when we feel that way, that we're not actually implementing a reverse sort of a reverse pride. It's not, and be careful, beloved, that we're not saying that I'm not worthy, but that we're saying you really aren't worthy to give that to me. You, 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 no, someone else. Do, you know. And that's pride. When you tell the giver, amen, are y'all following this? Have you ever given someone a gift and sensed that they weren't the most appreciative of it? How did that make you feel? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and, so and, and that's whether we as the recipients mean it or not, and so that's why, we, and, and, I, and, and, I, and there's, there's almost nothing, I'm going to regret saying this, there's almost nothing a child can't give me that I won't take, because when it comes from a child, that's just beyond precious. When I, I drove the school bus, I still drive in the morning some, but, but uh, last year when I drove, 
the kids would get on the bus. They gave me little gifts at Christmas. Samantha got on the bus, little, little elementary school girl. She got on the bus, and she had drawn a little picture of a cat and me and, and Mr. Ian, love you, Samantha. And I've got that. That's going in my scrapbook. I've got that. I've got uh, when I finished driving for the high schoolers. The high schoolers now, when I told them it was my last day, they, they, they you know, and, and they said they did something. And as they got off the bus, they handed me a note, and it was a, they threw it together on the bus in like five minutes. said, Mr. Ian, we love you. We're going to miss you. And they would sign their names inside of it. That's going in my scrapbook. I mean, it's a child, it's, you can give me, and, and that's one thing, but when it comes from an adult, there's a part of me that goes, no, wait a minute, <laughs> amen? I had a preacher one time, he told the church, he said he, he, lo- he made the mistake of telling the church that he loved Reese's cups, Reese's peanut butter cups, <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups, and, 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 and they found out that he liked Reese's peanut butter cups, and then he has another sermon where he talks about how on Sunday mornings when he gets to the church and he opens the door to his office, the door sweeps Reese's peanut butter cups out of the way because people just slide them under the door. He'd be sitting in his office studying and he'd hear, and he'd look down and there'd be peanut butter cups under his door. Now, I like Reese's pieces, the little ones, the little times that come in the bag. They don't, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not. Number one, the bag won't fit under the door and, and if you opened it and threw them under the door, then that's just, a, but I like Reese's, I like that. I made the mistake in the church of saying that <laughs> well, the week later after I said this in another church, a lady gave me three bags of Reese's Pieces. It's like, man. When we know who we are, we know how to love each other, we know that none of us are worthy of anything, it gives us the freedom to both give and receive. And the example Jesus is trying to set here, and this is important because of where we're going to be next week. I'm going to make you wait for it. I am. Amen. Where we're going next week and what he's going to do and what he's going to show them is of such importance spiritually that you and I have to make sure that we understand what pride is and how to receive as well as how to give. Amen? So to reject the gift is to reject the giver. So you're not really valuing yourself or the gift. What you're really doing is you're valuing the giver. And when you do that, that's pride. Peter undervalued himself. He undervalued himself, not me, Lord, never, never me, you, me, no, not no, it's not going to happen. He undervalued himself, and in so doing, he undervalued Christ. Here's the principle. You cannot be proud when you are genuinely thinking of others. And when someone brings you a gift, you don't focus on the gift. You don't focus on yourself. All you do is think about what that person is doing for you and what they're trying to do. You look at them and you give thanks for them and appreciation for them. And you receive from them what they're bringing to you. And that is humility. And that is the Christian life. And we're not always going to serve each other. And by the way, if you've read the books, the love languages, you know, everybody, we all have, we receive love in different ways. My, mine is, my love language is affirmation. What does that mean? I, I like for people to tell me that I'm doing good. I, I, I like to hear that. Not because I'm proud and not because I'm falsely humble, but it's an encouragement to me. I wrestle with my own sin, my own flesh. I, I still, I'm amazed. People who hear me preach are amazed. We're all amazed that God called me to be a preacher. When I look at my life, you look at my life as a child, when you look at children and you look at people and you go, that will never be a preacher, I was in that group. And now uh, here, I, here I is and I'm a preacher and, and people just scratch their heads and go, did not see that coming. <laughs> but, but I was going somewhere with that. But, uh, 
We don't want to undervalue ourselves and we want to realize that when we're thinking of others and we realize that where we are and who we are, and, and I was going to the lesson with affirmation, when people encourage me, I have to be careful that I don't say, thank you, yes, that was a great sermon, wasn't it? You know, I, I, I say thank you, God called me, to God be the glory, and I genuinely mean it. That's, that's not pride, that's actual humility. When you serve and someone tells you that you're serving and tell you you're doing a good job of serving, you can receive that with gratitude and say thank you, amen. That will happen in this life, amen. It, that, it, there's nothing wrong with receiving that and acknowledging that. And for some of us, we need to hear it more. And that's just because that's just one of the ways the devil gets at me. And that has to do with how I was raised. It has to do with my life. It has to do with all the insecurities of growing up. Everything that I grew up with, it's still with me today. Even though I'm over 50 years of age, I still have to deal with who I was and how I got here. And the devil knows that. And the devil knows you. And he knows how you got where you are. And he knows exactly what you need to hear to both bring you down. And God knows exactly what you need to hear to lift you up. And in everything, and in everything, we have to make sure that the glory and the praise goes to God. With that in mind, Jesus here is trying to do something for the disciples of spiritual importance, and Peter's resisting it. And in resisting what Jesus is trying to do, he's actually resisting Jesus. Peter undervalued himself. Now, Peter missed the truth of Jesus' departure. I'm gonna, let, let, me, let me read this. <laughs> pride will keep you from being served, and number two, pride will keep you from serving. That's a given. I think we understand that. But this is what I wrote. Peter missed the truth of Jesus' departure from the splendor of heaven, from the courts of glory, in order to reveal the majesty of his grace and the infiniteness of his love by becoming the greatest servant that man has ever seen. Can I read it one more time? Peter missed the truth of Jesus' departure from the splendor of heaven, from the courts of glory, in order to reveal the majesty of his grace and the infiniteness of his love by becoming the greatest servant that man has ever seen. Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. When this world rejects Christ, they're not just rejecting the greatest act of service the world has ever known, but they're rejecting the very concept of servanthood as God defines it. Did you hear that? The worst thing that this world could do is not just in denying Christ and rejecting him and, and facing an eternity without him, but it's in what it means if we don't understand how he served us is how we're supposed to serve each other. Look at verse 15 and verse 16. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, is he talking about washing feet? No. We'll talk about that next week. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And Jesus already told us he was sent from God and that we're sent by Jesus we're not greater than Jesus. Jesus, as a man, as the Messiah on earth, was not greater than the Father. He was sent by the Father to do a work, so much so that when he's in the garden, he says, Father, if it is possible to let this cup pass for me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. You know, the hardest things you and I can pray is, Lord, I'm just going to put this in words that we might not put it into, but let's just, 
Lord, if it's possible, do I really have to serve this person? If it's possible, could you get somebody else to do it? But if not, not, your, not my will be done, but, but yours be done. Too often our prayer is not your will be done, but mine. It's going to be hard to serve in this world. We have to remember who we are, where we came from, and where we're going. Beloved, do not let your pride keep you from reveling and rejoicing in that great stooping down of Jesus to wash us in his blood. Look at verse 7. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do you do not know now, but you will know hereafter. Jesus is showing them that his actions carry weight beyond their current understanding. We have the advantage of hindsight. We're living after the explanation. We know what's happened. We can study this. We can see what he meant. We, can, we know what follows. They didn't know all that at the time. But if we're not careful, we'll read right over this as just another historical account. We'll never study it. We'll never find the deeper meaning. We'll miss it just as much as Peter did. Look at verse 8. Peter said unto him, you shall never wash my feet. That word never in the Greek, that's the word that's used for ages and eternity. In other words, when Peter says, you will never wash my feet, he says, you will never, ever, ever, you will never, ever, never, ever, ever, you will never, not, not today, not yesterday, you will never, it is not going to happen, you will never, in all of eternity, you will never wash my feet. That's how adamant he was. That's the word that he used. You will not wash my feet, Lord. Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Lord, give me a whole bath. <laughs> Funny how that changed. The never ever became, give me all you got. He's talking to the incarnate Lord of glory. That is not humility. That is pride. And I say all this, beloved, because God wants to do something in your life and in my life this morning and in the life of this church this morning that if we're not careful, we will say, Lord, that'll never, I'll never, never, no, we're not worthy, we're no, never, ever. And, and, and we're actually exhibiting pride where we think we're being humble and we're telling Almighty God what he cannot do. That is always pride. Amen? I want to make sure you get that. When you tell God what he cannot do, that is pride. If you see that and agree with that, say amen. And if you're not sure and you're scared, that's okay. <laughs> I don't like the way this is going. I don't either. Because I know how many times in my life, unintentionally or otherwise, I tell God what he can and cannot do. Hmm. Humility is realism. What we call humility is often inverted pride. I wrote this down. If you're talented, it's not humility to say you're not talented. It's a lie. Amen? If you have a gift and someone tells you, and they commend you for that gift, and you try and do that, then you're, you're either lying or you're proud. Jesus responded, where Peter asked for too little in verse 8, now he asks for too much in verse 9. So if you look at verse 12, after he had washed their feet, he, he sat down and he says, Do you know what I've done unto you? There's more than they realize, more than they're seeing here. And then in verse 15, he says, I've given you an example that as you should do, I have done unto you. So he now invites them to look through the window. He's inviting the open. He's considering, do you understand what this is? Do you know what's happening here? And you can read the rest of the chapter where he talks about happy is he that serves and the fulfilling of scripture and, and loving and, and leading. 
He's going to explain it. The rest of it, we'll look at what actually happens next week. But I'm going to give you four things. I'm going to give you the outline. I'm going to tell you where we're going. We're going to look at four things next week. In this passage, you have four things. Number one, if you don't write them down, that's okay. You'll get them next week. A perfect picture. You have a perfect picture of the Savior and his entire redeeming history. And what happens here? In the washing of their feet, you have a perfect picture of the Savior and his entire redeeming history. Number two, you have a perfect picture of our salvation and its primary benefit in our lives. Number three, we have a picture of our, a perfect picture of our sanctification and its process. And number four, a perfect picture of the service that we are to render inside the body of Christ. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you now again, it's not washing feet which will be a relief to some of us, amen. But it's much more than that, and much richer and much deeper and much fuller than that. We're going to look next week at exactly how Jesus served those disciples. And when we see how he served them, we're going to understand exactly how we're supposed to serve each other. And in case you missed it, anything less than that is not humility, but is in fact, say it. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?